Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome to Boss Files. I'm Poppy Harlow. The first full week of 2020, a new decade, a presidential election ahead... And we're seeing more business leaders taking a stand on social issues, among them fashion designer Eileen Fisher. She sees her brand as a platform, and her employees are encouraging her to stand up on all sorts of issues, like climate change. I think we're actually a platform. I think it's really, really important for businesses to, you know, to speak to certain issues. In a a different time, you would think the government would be holding those kinds of things, but it's a different time right now, so it's, it's sort of requiring us to step up more. She's a leading voice on environmental sustainability in the fashion industry, reselling and recycling garments in an effort to help curb climate change. The namesake brand has been impacted by the U.S.-China trade war, so we dive into that. She talks about having to rescale her production there. Also, and this is fascinating to me, her take on profit sharing. She owns 60% of her company. Her employees own the rest. I think it's good for morale and for people feeling like they're really part of this company and people speak up more when they see things that don't feel right or people wasting money over there. They really feel it's theirs too. You know, they're a part of it. Plus, her advice for all of us parents out there, what she wishes she'd done differently as a mother. I think to put down the work. That's what I didn't do when my kids were young. I would You you work too much. I work too much. I would bring the reports home or yeah. you know, study things, think about things, you know. Do you regret it? I do. And how Eileen Fisher uses meditation to guide her work and her life. What she learned from her own mother, who struggled with depression. So let's jump in right there with Eileen Fisher. Good morning, Eileen. Good morning, Poppy. (laughs) So my mom texted me last night and said, you should wear your purple Eileen Fisher sweater that I bought you for the interview. I'm not. I'm sorry, Mom. (laughs) It's in storage somewhere. I think she bought it for me when I was 18. But I still have it. Sweet. It's a joy to be with you and to get to meet you after all these years of wearing your clothes. Oh, I'm honored to be here. Thank you. How how would you define yourself, Eileen Fisher, today? Who are you? Oh, me personally? Yeah. Who am I? Oh, my God. You didn't tell me you were going to start there. <laughs> Never do. That's the hardest question of all. Oh, well, I'm a mom. I have two kids. Um, I run a business. I'm a designer. Um, I'm... Uh, uh, I think I'm. I think I'm very grandly think I'm trying to change the world. <laughs> well, just small goals. Small goals. For a Wednesday morning. <laughs> okay. You know, I read that you. Well, I know that you don't call yourself a CEO. Oh right. And you've been described as a reluctant leader. Oh yes, absolutely. Is that appropriate? Yeah, yeah. I do call myself co-CEO yes. as of the last year, uh, which is big. Was a big leap for me. Um, but I think that um, I, I think 
the way I lead is, is I had this idea when I started 35 years ago. Actually, the idea came to me 40 years ago. And it was really, you know, just about simple, timeless clothes and how they went together and, you know, good quality materials and no waste, things like that. Um, uh, and I think that I lead through just following this idea. And so I try to gather people into the idea, into what we're trying to do and, you know, how we're trying to make getting dressed simple and comfortable and those kind of things. And which reminds me, I'm an uncomfortable person, which is often how I start. That you're an uncomfortable, <laughs> uncomfortable person? Uncomfortable person. I think which we're is... all uncomfortable. <laughs> no, not you. You, you, yeah, you oh, are. Of course I am. Oh, really? Like the hair and makeup and the confidence is a facade. Of oh, course stop. I am. <laughs> Meditation. You do something that I dream about doing oh. you haven't gotten there yet oh. but I'm 37 you didn't meditate at 37 no did you? let's see when did I start I you know I started around 20 years ago and right. pretty you know committed about 15 years ago So I got a little time you got but, time but, but you you meditate every morning you did early this morning yes, yes but you still say I still wake up every morning feeling crazy <laughs> <laughs> really uh, yeah pretty stressed yeah, I know that's crazy. Oh, that's just isn't not it? how you come off. Oh, that's good. I'm glad. What are you? That's my facade. What too, are you, you stressed know? about? Um, I'm stressed about um, my life, my son, my work. Um, you know what I'm trying to be and do, and whether I'm doing it well enough, and how it could be better, and <laughs> all of those kinds of things. But once I start meditating. It's gone and I'm ready to go. How long? Until I come to like an interview or something know, like this where the stress comes up again. And you don't love being in the public eye. But I no. thank you for doing it. Yeah. Because you are, you've described yourself as a shy extrovert. <laughs> true? Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. But yet you have had through, through your life all of these grand goals and ambition and yeah. taken a lot of risks. Yeah. Um, yeah. How have you overcome that? desire to you know keep to inward and to, sh to be to sort of stay in a shell yeah um, well I think first I did it through the following the vision the idea so it was more um, about pictures and you know sort of following this thing yeah. rather than speaking you know so I didn't I didn't have to it didn't feel like risk it felt like I was following something other than myself like something that was coming to me or through me or something like that so it never felt like a risk. It felt like, even wow. all the way through, it always felt like I was just doing the next step. Yeah. You know. We'll get to the brand and how you built it in a moment. Okay. But I think to set up what you have built and the risks that you did take, <laughs> let's talk about what it was like growing up for you. Because as I understand it, some of your earliest memories, especially of your mother, yeah. are sewing yeah. and making clothes. That's right. Can you take us into yeah. the household? What sure. was it like? Oh, well, the house is a little bit chaotic. Uh, seven children. Oh, yeah. Mine's um, chaotic with two. So <laughs> I know. Seven, I know. I mine too. Mine is two. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but, you know, my mother, um, you know, she was cooking, cleaning, you know, all those kinds of things all the time and even too busy to teach us for the most part to help her. So she, she kind of did it all. But she did love to sew. Um, and she loved to go to fabric stores. She liked clothing. She, you know, um, 
so she would take me to fabric stores. She would um, make clothes for me. And I remember the first dress she made me. It was a little red shift dress. Oh. It was wool, and it just had this little boat neck. It's a simple little red shift dress. And I was like in probably seventh, eighth grade or something mm -hmm. like that. And I remember wearing it like when I first started going to these dances, these little sock hops and things like that, where there were boys and just like dancing in this simple dress. It was just so comfortable and so easy. And I sort of fell in love with kind of that, probably 13, 14, 14 something like that. Do you think that that was the inspiration for the brand you would eventually build? Um, probably. I don't think I thought of that. I think the actual inspiration, came, my memory of it came in when I was in Japan. Sure. You know, but, but I that do think it was embedded and being yourself in this right. yeah. dress. Or what I was looking for, yeah, um, and also that I wore a uniform. Catholic you know, school. it's Catholic school, and so I wanted that kind of simplicity. I hated wearing a uniform, yeah. but I wanted the ease of just throwing on go. Yeah. You know, well, not do, worry about my clothes. I mean, women spend, I spend time and energy thinking about what I'm going to wear right. and yearn for simplicity. Right, right. Right? Right. But we want it to be fun, too, and we want it to, you know, feel good and look good and all those things. You talk about your your house, your childhood uh, being chaotic. That's the word yes. you use. Can yeah. you tell me more about your mother and yeah. her struggles, especially because she had seven, yeah. seven or eight? Seven. Seven children. Seven. Um... I think she was just utterly overwhelmed. She just couldn't manage, you know. It's like, I just remember, you know, the bus coming down the block. She would be standing in the little tiny kitchen and making sandwiches. She had the bags all lined up seven in a row, you know, and just like making the sandwiches and, no and putting help. them in. No, no. And, and she was, she just was so overwhelmed. She could, no help, no outside help, but she couldn't teach us. And if we tried to help, she couldn't make room for us. That eventually spiraled into pretty severe depression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She landed in the hospital when I was 16. Yeah, that was... Because she had a breakdown? She had a breakdown, yeah. yeah. Can you tell me, were you there? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what did that do to you and your siblings? What was the impact on you? Uh, well, I think I just kind of went numb at first. You know, just I didn't, I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know how to help her. I didn't know what to make of it. And I just remember the thing that stands out in my mind is my dad talking about driving to work the next day after taking her to the hospital. And, you know, he said he broke down crying. He pulled over to the side of the road and said he had just been thinking the day before on his way to work that these were the happiest days of wow. his life. Wow. Because she would sort of put on right. her mask, right. if you will, at the exactly. end of the day. Exactly. She would be chaotic, rushing around, you know, kind of screaming and yelling. We called it ranting and raving. Oh, Mom, my sweet mother. Oh, now I'm remembering the sweet parts of her, you know. Yeah. So she wasn't, you know, oh, goodness, sorry. That's okay. She wasn't perfect. She wasn't perfect. We are not perfect And there perfect were many sweet mothers. parts. And I got to sew with her. You know, I got yeah. inspired and... Did she get to live to see what you built? She she saw enough of it. Good. She did. She did. Good. Yeah, I think she was. Um, I think she was amazed, and you know, I think, yeah. Because she was not afforded the opportunity, or didn't think she had the opportunity to yeah. have a career. Oh no, no, 
Yeah, I don't know why. I think she didn't think she had choices in her life. I remember vividly Ruth Bader Ginsburg talking about her mother, Supreme Court Justice, and, and yes, saying of course. That, that a lot of what she has worked to achieve is because she saw her mother, who was very smart. Right. But just the, the time, right. society. Right. That her mother didn't have the opportunity to achieve those things. That's right. Yeah. And I can relate to that. I can totally relate. I always felt like my mother didn't have her own money. She didn't feel like she could buy herself a dress, you know. Right. Yes, we did buy fabric and yeah. make some things. Yeah. But she, I don't remember her ever making herself a dress. Right. And, you know? and that the inability to be financially independent is a reality for so many people yeah. and, and scary. Has that shaped how you think about money? I know you're a little bit uncomfortable. What? With money. With money. Yeah. I know. I am. Um, wow. Actually, I lost the question you just said. That's obviously just, how uncomfortable did, I am. Did, did, she, did that shape at all sort of how you think about money? Yes, yes. I think that I knew that I wanted to be independent. I wanted to be able to make the choices I wanted to make. And yeah. whether that was buy a garment I wanted to buy or go to college, I put myself through to school. Much, my father didn't think that was necessary. He, your father did not think it was necessary? For uh, girls to go to college, he really? sat me down to say, well, it's great that you're going to college, but we don't have the money to support you to do that. Did he think you should have a career? Uh, he didn't think it was necessary. He said that you're, you'll know, get married one day and your husband will support you. Even after seeing what your mom went through. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think that he saw the roles very clear. But then fast forward a few decades, he comes to New York. Yeah. You're starting out. <laughs> and he's looking, He was blown away. He's looking through just, your books, yeah. right? And what did he say? He said, oh, my God, Eileen, do you know how much money you made last year? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> he sat back and he said, $200,000. Wow. That wasn't the profit. That was just the revenue sure. at that point, you know. Sure. But that was enough for him, you know. That, that he was he was just utterly stunned. More from my conversation with fashion designer Eileen Fisher after the break. Burger King. <laughs> Fifteen years old. Right. You worked at. I worked at a gas station. Oh, you did. I did. Oh, that's I made great. a lot of money. I yeah. made. Thirteen dollars an hour. Wow, which, I made fifty know, cents an hour, yeah. but that was a different time. Yeah, but still thirteen dollars an hour. Yeah, when that's I pretty was, good. That's like twenty-four years ago. That was a lot yeah, of money. Yeah, that's that's a lot of money. It was a Saturday morning, seven to three. Wow, I'm so glad I did. I, I owed my mom money. I had bought some clothes and spent money <laughs> that she had given me permission to. So she said, "How are you going to pay me back?" And I went and worked at a gas station and paid her back all nine hundred dollars. Oh. And then I kept working there. But how did Burger, Burger King at fifteen shape you? Well. um... First, I got to buy contact lenses that in those days cost $200, and it took me several months to yes. save the money to do that. Um, but I think it gave me independence. You know, it gave mm -hmm. me choices. You know, I worked at Burger King, and then I worked as a waitress, and I saved enough money to put myself through college. And, um, and I also think in terms of shaping me, I was very practical about money. And I think that I understand I understand money. I understand the value of money. Do you think that has stayed with you? Because it has stayed yeah. with me through my career. I yeah. still think about, do I really need to buy that coffee? Or I'm going to bring my lunch to yeah. work? Or just yeah. the practicality of it. Yeah. You still, you still, despite all the money you've made. Yeah. 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 I had to be, like, 
now I sometimes travel business class, first class, but I had to be really. I think you just, just sat <laughs> down and talked this. into it, you know. <laughs> yeah, just because it seemed frivolous. Yeah, I was like, well, God, it's just a few hours. What difference right. does it make, you know? A little better food or food in general these days. <laughs> That's true. Three hundred fifty dollars. Is that yeah. what you started the brand? That's with? right. That's right. How? Yeah, I know it's crazy. Like I didn't, you know, I I. I, I was a designer. I did graphics and interiors, but I didn't know anything about designing clothes, really, you know? Although I think design is design, and you can, you know, mm -hmm. design a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. But I didn't understand the fashion business at all. Right. So I didn't even know you, you should do a fashion show if you're starting a line of clothing. You don't do fashion shows. <laughs> no, no. At all? No. Have you ever done New York or Paris fashion? Week? No, no, no. We do fashion week in our way, in our right. showroom, and, you know, maybe you we'll didn't have... No, but never... To never a, a runway show. You didn't feel, you were just in vogue a few weeks ago, you didn't feel like you needed Anna Wintour sitting on the sidelines? Um, she's terrific, she you is. know, um, but I, I didn't think about it. I didn't know it worked that way, so I didn't know that that would be beneficial. So, but I was just at a meeting with her the other day and yeah. it was about sustainability, so now oh, there. good. That's a really Which we'll uh, talk a lot interesting. about. Now we need her, <laughs> that's great. Well, because, and we'll get to that in a moment, but the fashion industry, clothing, excess clothing is yeah. such a huge contributor huge. to waste in, oh, this, so huge. in this country and in this world. So $350 to start yes. the brand and the influence of Japan. Yes, okay. And the kimono. Yeah. Talk to me about how that all came yeah. together. Yeah, well, it also comes back to my mother because my mother saved every scrap of fabric when she would sew. Oh, so wow. I was very interested in um, not wasting. Sure. So um, I was fascinated by the kimono when I was in Japan because, uh, first of all, I liked the shape, you know, the simplicity of the shape and the movement and um, and but also the fact that they wore only that shape for over a thousand years in Japan. I thought, what an interesting concept. You know, what a timeless idea like of no waste that you could wear, you know, keep using these things year after year, pass them down to the mm -hmm. next generations. They have trunks full of their kimonos. And of course, now they wear Western clothes, you know, but, you know, for... But timeless and classic. Yeah. Shape that was, the brand. Yeah, definitely. You make it to a trade show. Yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> you're, you're back in the early days again. What okay, year is yes. this, roughly, and what happened? Uh, 1984. Okay. Right. So what the, happens? The first show, I sell clothes. I stand there. I can't speak the first day because, I, you know, speaking is not what I do. You're a little nervous. I make pictures, and I... <laughs> yes. Um... I was so nervous I couldn't speak. I just remember, and people would come by and ask me, you know, uh, what does it cost? What are the style numbers? I'm like, oh, style numbers. Oh, could you come back tomorrow? <laughs> Let me think about price, you know. Really? You went into a trade show without thinking about price? <laughs> Which is crazy after Burger King and all of that, you know. So I understood about money. I knew that I wanted to sell clothes, you know. Yeah. But I just didn't know, you know. I just didn't know what to expect. And so, but, you know, I, I started talking to other designers and people there, and they helped me to figure out how to price the clothes and mm -hmm. put style numbers on them and uh, all that. And I sold a few, I sold I think eight stores in my first uh, show. And you know, that was a great little start. And I was like, I felt like I was learning, I was understanding the business. You have described in the past the women that wear Eileen Fisher as artists, therapists, <laughs> and teachers. Oh yes, okay. And journalists. Okay, right, okay. It's broad. Well, my mom a lot. is a therapist, so there's that. Yeah. yeah. Is, is that who wears Eileen Fisher? Yeah. Well, I think it's 
broadened, you know, lots of women find the clothes. Um, but I think it is something to do with the way that you kind of find yourself in them, that they don't sort of wear you, you know, they're, they're um, there's, it's, you know, I guess there's a certain style about them, but and I don't think one always will look at someone and say, that's an Eileen Fisher. Like today, people come up to me and say, you know, I'm wearing your sweater, I'm wearing your pants, I'm wearing, you know, you know. They do? That. You get stopped all the, the time in New York? Um, yeah, but uh, I do, I do. More, more commonly, I give people my credit card and they go, do you know that there's a famous designer no. with the same name that's as you? really funny. <laughs> I love that. That's um, really funny. No, but I think what I was saying is the point about the clothes, like I'll often not recognize someone wearing Eileen Fisher because oh. they become, they're so simple yep. that they become you. What is the key to, because I, if I can find that purple sweater, I bet it would look pretty similar to something that you would sell in this store probably, today. Probably, probably. How do you keep something timeless and yeah. relevant, especially yeah. in the age of fast fashion? Right. Exactly. And That's friends? Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. Uh, the first rule is keep it simple. And uh, the second, I think, is good quality material. Uh, and um, yeah, uh, not to, you know, like you want to move with the trend, you know, so if it's, if people are wearing skirts or, you know, if the sweaters are shorter or longer or the necklines are changing, kind of move with that a little. Mm -hmm. But those kind of things are kind of, um, they're kind of timeless. It's just how you put things together that allows you to shift things. Have, have you, one thing I thought of as we were preparing for this interview is, if I can say this in a polite way. I hope to, it comes across that way. Okay. You are um, an older executive yes. in the fashion industry. Yes. Right? Yes, yes, yes. And I kept thinking about, does she face ageism? We talk yeah. a lot about sexism. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever, I mean, you didn't take the company public. You don't have right. outside investors. You don't have to answer to them. But yeah. I just wonder if you've ever faced that in, in your life. Um, personally, probably not. Uh, I would say not. Good. Personally. Uh, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure that's a problem for well, it, women working. It's a big problem, especially for mothers who try to get right. back into the right. workforce after taking right. a decade or so to be a parent. Right. They've many experience, people think, oh, well, you're not relevant. Right. And right. where I, I mean, age is. I prefer my 30s to my 20s, and I hear yeah. my 40s will be better than my 30s, and I think with age comes experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's nice. I, I, I agree. Uh, um, and I also think we do, we do wrestle with, with relevance in terms of uh, our, our audience. We've built an audience that's loyal and grown with us, mm -hmm. and, and reaching the next generation has been, uh, you know, work for us and we're still working on it the millennials you know. do do millennials do you have data on millennials and if they yeah I mean, they're Eileen finding Fisher, us they're finding us the price point you have a certain price point that yeah it's is expensive. high yeah um so that can be a barrier for some young yeah. people of course yeah um you do resell clothes we do resell we'll talk about yeah, yeah yeah for a lower price point but do you what do you know about younger people in the brand 
Yeah, I know that they like our most simple pieces, mm. the ones that they, they really look at and go like, oh, I, I, I'm just gonna wear that black cashmere sweater every day, it's the perfect simple thing, you know? That's the kind of thing, they're, they're, they're almost more practical in some ways, it's so interesting. So they'll make one sort of aspirational, yeah. bigger purchase. Yeah, yeah. Coming up, Eileen Fisher's commitment to sustainable fashion. Okay, let's talk about sustainability. So the data is scary. Yeah, I didn't realize very it scary. until we started preparing yeah, for this interview. Yeah, it's pretty bad. The Council for Textile Recycling says this year, 2019, Americans will throw away more than 35 billion pounds of textiles. That's double what it was in 1999. Yeah. yeah. Um, Greenhouse gas emissions in 2015 from textile production totaled 1.2 billion dollars, uh, billion tons rather, of CO2 equivalent. Right. More than all international flights and maritime shipping combined. You just That's met wild. with Anna Wintour yes. about this. Yes. Can you take us into the meeting a little bit? Yes. Well, that's the Fair Fashion Institute that heads that meeting. Um, and um, basically the, the industry is really um, aware that, you know, this has to change. And there are lots of companies already doing, doing lots of good work. I mean, we've been on it for many, many years. I mean, we, you know, it's sort of embedded in our, in our way of being. Um, but the industry is, is looking at everything. You know, looking at, at um, the starts with the raw materials. That's sort of the first agenda item of this group, um, because you know the fashion business is all about fabric, clothing. You know, so half of our impact on the environment is the materials, or actually 75% if you include the processing of the materials. So that's where we focus. That's where the industry is focused. I don't think people know that like making jeans yeah. is really bad for the environment yeah. or all of the places that a white t-shirt has to travel right. and, and the yeah. items before it's made. Right. So The water use is stunning. Stunning. You guys, as I understand it, did an internal audit of environmental practices in yes. the company. What did you find? Uh, Oh, of our environmental practices? Uh, we are always doing that. We measure all the time. Um, uh, we've, what did we find? And, and when did it yeah. start? Oh, we've been doing this for some time. We set um, what we called our Vision 2020 goals mm -hmm. about five years ago when we made a commitment that we wanted to be a 100% sustainable company, which, uh, to be perfectly honest, we are not. And um, but we found, I think at that point, we started really. We'd already been looking at all of our raw materials and trying to redirect our processes to, you know, become more eco-preferred materials and things like that. And um, um, we found a lot of things. You know, um, everything we learned. We learned. We have a whole team that works on this every day. And so we're always, we, we know that things like organic cotton, you know, uh, not using pesticides, uh, that's huge. And only 1% of the cotton that is used is organic. So all of our cotton, 100%. like 98% or 99% is, is organic. That's just one material, but things like rayon, a lot of rayon comes from Rayon comes from cellulose. It, a, a lot of it actually comes from the rainforest, uh, from cutting down trees. So it's hard to trace. So we make a point that if we use rayon, which we are 
phasing out of um, because even the processing of RAN is um, complicated and polluting. What would, I'm making an assumption here, but I'm pretty sure it's right, that rayon is used all across, especially fast fashion, less yeah. expensive. Yeah. What would people need to know? How do they know that that's in their clothing? Is it labeled? Yeah, is the, it? Um, well, we label all of ours with fabric yeah. content. Okay. Uh, I'm not so sure if that's required. Mm. I think a lot of companies do. All those companies want to sell more clothes. You yeah, want that's... to sell less. <laughs> well, true. We want to sell more of the good stuff. Okay. <laughs> that's the plan. Um, but yes, I think we want to encourage the customers to to um, to slow down, to be more mindful of their choices, and because actually that is the consumer, the consumerism, the mass consumerism is. It's not, it's not helping us either, you know, it's making our lives a little crazy, you know. Well, we, I think we often think if I buy things, I'm going to be happier. Right. That's and I, you, you feel that sort of initial kind high of like for eating, like, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. For yeah. like a day or two. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's right. why I think especially millennials value experience. Right. Over yeah, anything. Interesting. So because you don't want to sell just masses of items, right, what right. does that mean for your margins? How much higher do your margins have to be? Um, well, I don't think that our, our margins have to be higher to sell less. Um, I think uh, it's an adjustment, I guess, in the business model. I'm just thinking. Um, uh, I think, I think, hmm, well, I don't know. I, it's not what we do, so I don't think about it as mass. Um, You've never thought about it that it's way. It's not the way I think about it, right. So where am I going with this? Hmm. Well, you can think about it while I ask you about, re about oh, all right. resell well, reselling okay. items. Yes, okay. You collect, and you have for a while, Yes, items. 10 years. We've taken back the clothes. For 10 years? Yeah. From as long ago, Eileen Fisher, from whenever? Well, we're 35 years old, so oh, not so from the very beginning, I mean. yeah. but 10 years. Yeah. What do you do with that? Right. So we, um, we resell, as much, we clean and resell as much as we can, and so many of our stores have a section that has the recycled clothing available to the customers to buy. Um, and uh, then what we can't sell, we have a little factory up in Irvington. Um, we call our tiny factory. It's not so tiny, 20,000 square feet. Here in New York. Here in New York, river, yes. on the river, up on the river. And we remake the clothes. So, you know, I'm a big, like, problem solver. I, like, if there's a problem, you know, like the, the pollution problem, I'm like, let's dig in. You know, something positive is going to come of this. So um, what happened with us is that we were taking all these clothes back. And then we found that we were building up these piles of clothes that we couldn't resell. Yeah. And we were giving them to charity and things like that, yeah. but it was just, then it was too much. We had three warehouses full of the oh clothes goodness. that we couldn't resell, but we couldn't put them in the landfill. So we started uh, looking at what can we do with these clothes. And we started remaking them into sometimes clothes, but now we're also doing a line of, you know, like uh, little pillows and we have wall pieces and we did a big show in Milan. Very exciting. There's a cool machine. 
Oh, yes, the felting machine. Yes. yes, and it's like you layer a bunch yes. of pieces on yes. top of one another. Did you see another. that? Uh, I you did. saw a video or something? I did. Yeah. Well, I have this wonderful woman, Siggy, who works. She was my very first employee. Um, and she was the one who started the recycle. Yeah, she started the recycle program, and she, but she's the one who found the felting mm -hmm. machine, which was never used for recycling in the way we're using it. I mean, people make insulation with these big felting machines, but but she, you're making pillows and but tapestries. We're, we're doing a sort of an artisanal thing, and they're all one of a kind things, and they're just starting to be available in our stores, the pillows, and some of them, like five of our stores and online, you can see the pillows and the tiny bags, and there's, yeah, we're getting there. It's you, exciting. You have called the brand, Eileen Fisher, quadruple bottom line business. Oh, yes. What does right. that mean? Right. Uh, what are the it four means, things? Right. Um, it means we measure um, our environmental impact, our, um, our social impact, so that's kind of our internal and external so our employee well-being and also the well-being of the workers in the supply chain right um, but also of course profit I almost forgot that one I was like what's the fourth one this oh, is right profit <laughs> right <laughs> yes so let's talk about profit and profit sharing yes privately held still yes you well, own ESOP I own 60, 60 percent and, and the, the employees own 40 how did that happen yeah oh well um, there came a point uh, where, it, well, first of all, there was a, once we started having extra profit, the first thought was share it with the employees. They do all the work, you know, and they, you know, it's only fair to share, which I think all companies should have to do. I'm going to really start, by do. the way, saying that to my kid. It's only fair to share. It's only fair to, to share. To three-year-old. We who just does made not that up. That's share. good. All right, good. That's coming out tonight. Okay, so you said you think all companies should do this. I think all companies well, should do that. That would help to level the playing field. Progressive push for that right yeah. now, as yeah. you know. Yeah. So, but it's this good. is only after you decided not to go public. Right. Well, first we were doing profit sharing before okay. that. So that was soon as there was extra profits, we started sharing the profits. Um, but then uh, companies started wanting to buy the company, and I was like, well, that's not really what I Who wanted to Who tried to buy to. you guys? Uh, you can tell me well, now because it's, you know. Well, in the old days, it was Liz Claiborne, and, you sure. know, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't really know who else, but lo lots of different people, you know. Um, but I didn't really want to do that, and there was a moment we sort of entertained the idea of going public and what would that mean, but, you know, I was told I didn't have an aggressive enough growth plan. I who was told like, you that? Uh, I, the guys I, in the room? Yeah, I guess so. They were, de they were definitely guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I was like, uh, aggressive. Well, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe that's not the idea. I needed to be saying I was going to open 50 stores, you know, and I wasn't, or 100 stores, or 400 stores. But I, I didn't know whether I, you know, I was always like step by step, you know. I, if you know, I open one store and it works, we'll open four, and if the four work, we'll open eight or something like that, and we'll just see what happens. We and now you have 65. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay, so you said no. no so to I said those, no to that. No okay, to those so guys we're getting in the, the ESOP No idea. to the public market. Right. But no then it was selling. Right. And then it was this idea came up um, because there was an idea that I should diversify my um, my assets, um, but I didn't think so much of them as my assets. They were all in the company. Everything. You know, I didn't have any private money that wasn't in the company. I think I owned an apartment something like that at the time. So we somehow, um, it was probably through my CFO at the time, uh, the idea that we could do this employee stock ownership idea. 
I was like, well, that sounds interesting. Let's explore that. Yeah. And so we worked on that, and I, I think sold 30, I sold 30% to the employees, and the idea was we had to borrow the money from the bank, and then the bank paid me, and then the employees got shares, and, um, and we got a big tax deduction. So it was kind of win-win, win. So talking about your belief that all companies should do this today and the sort of progressive movement yeah. behind that. Yeah. What should that look like for, say, a Walmart or a Target yeah. or yeah. some of these other big retail companies? Well, what I would think you do if you were running them? Because they do have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholder. I know. And they have to answer quarterly to the public markets. Right. I know. Yeah. I think, well, it's a tough one. Um, I, I think they should do it anyway, because I think I think even 10% of the profits is, I think it's good for um, morale and for people feeling like they're really part of this company and um, people speak up more when they see things that don't feel right or people wasting money over there. They really feel it's theirs too, you know, they're a part of it. So I think, I think there's a lot of benefit by doing it, do your besides employees? being the right thing to do. Do your yeah. employees speak up and say, yeah. we don't want you using our money that they, way? They do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, as an owner, I think, you know, maybe we shouldn't be doing that. Or, you know, we should change this. Or, you know, a lot of, a lot of comments. Good. And has it Good. changed your behavior um, and decision-making? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. I listen. I, I always think that uh, that's the way I try to lead, as we were talking about in the earlier part of the interview. Um, I, I listen to everybody. I love to hear what people are feeling and thinking, and and that influences where we turn the company, what we do, and you know. So it's a Elizabeth Warren, Senator Elizabeth Warren, running for president. Yes. And Bernie Sanders both support plans that would essentially force corporations to have forty percent of their board be made up of employees. Forty percent of the board made up of employees. Oh, that's interesting. Good idea. Oh, I don't know. Um, we actually don't have employees on our board. We just formed a board <laughs> about a year ago, so we're still trying to figure out how do we do this. And well, you know, but that's come up that idea that, of employees on the board. And um, well, it's something to think about. I don't there know about forty percent. I don't. I don't know. But that's yeah. That's definitely a suggestion. Food for thought. Food for thought. Yeah. Amazon. Is Amazon a threat or opportunity for you guys? Because, as you know, they're getting increasingly into the fashion business. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's making me uncomfortable. Uh, <laughs> the maybe question, it's a threat. The question it could or be Amazon? A threat, you know. Yeah. Um, could be. Could be. I mean, because they're. Uh, hmm. I don't. I don't know how to make sense out of it. I don't. I don't know. I don't think we work much with, I don't think we work through Amazon, really. Right. So I don't know whether they're going to, huh, how it, how it all works. I, I'm, I'm not that, I, I, I don't have a strong opinion. I have to tell you, I appreciate your candor and your willingness to say I don't know. Because not many <laughs> leaders do because they think it's a sign of weakness. I think it's a sign of strength I to say, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just one person. I can't know all these things, you know. Up next, how has the U.S.-China trade war affected the brand's business? I ask her. 
I'd like to talk a little bit about China because you manufacture a number yes. of your items in China. Yes, we do. Uh, what has the trade war been for you guys? Uh, the trade war has been tough for us, yeah. And, uh, we, you know, we, ha we have been looking at and reconsidering our positioning in China, which makes me sad, you know, because we have been in China uh, and we've done a lot of good work in China. You, you know? mean you're thinking of pulling out? We're, we're not going to fully pull out, um, but we have pulled out some of our... It's sort of been a synchronistic thing because some of our factories have closed, um, in part because there's other opportunities in China and not everyone's having to work in the factories the way That's they did, true. which Rising is actually middle class, a good which thing. Is good for them. You know, uh, so it's sort of a synergy, syn synchronicity of events. And so we are partially pulling out some of it is the tariffs is related to that, and some of it is just some of our factories, you know, have shifted. So it's it's a it's a shifting thing, and you know. Do you have a um, sense of what it has cost the company? The what it's cost order? us? Yeah, the tariffs. Um, Even a percent. Uh, it's definitely costing us. Uh, um, I can't tell you that exactly. I think it's really just starting to hit us because I think the ones that are affecting us are just coming into play right about now. So I, we'll see the results more next year. I know, I believe you've spent time going to China over the yes. years. Uh, yes, Going in your factories. Yes. Obviously concerns about human trafficking, yes. et cetera. Yes. But I'd like to ask you about human rights concerns in yes. China right now. Yes. The jailing of, you know, a million Muslim ethnic minorities, the Uyghur population there. Yes. As someone who has based so much of her business on ethics and morality, yeah. Yeah. how do you wrestle with that? Yeah. And have you thought about pulling out of China because of the actions of the Chinese government? Um, actually, we stay because we feel like we can make a difference by being there. You know, um, to pull out as a protest, I can understand that and respect people who do that. Uh, we see that we have made inch-by-inch inch progress in terms of supporting the workers in the factories where we are over the years that we've been in China. Mm. So we see it as, um, you know, always, always working toward inching everything forward towards progress and towards world peace, towards things you being better, towards better You think it would hurt the right. population more for you guys to exit? I do. I think we make a difference being there. I think the people prefer to work in the factories, you know, where we are, where the Americans are monitoring and supervising and, and, and working to guarantee the rights of people there. Uh, so I think we're good. We're a good influence, and we move things forward. Yeah. Um, tech companies face this issue yeah. more of working with the Chinese government? Yeah, we don't. Is, yeah. You don't? No, we work independently. Would you? Um, At I, this point? Uh, um, I can't say that. I don't have a strong opinion. I haven't studied. I haven't thought about it. And the, the protest now six months in, in yeah. Hong Kong. Yeah. As you watch that as an American citizen, but also yeah. someone who, you know, manufactures in that country, what, yeah. what do you think? Um, very sad. Uh, you know, again, you know, we always are work. We've worked with Hong Kong, and Hong Kong has been our entry point into China. And the way Hong Kong has worked with China for so many years has been really 
inch by inch opening, moving forward, and it's been such a, a good thing. So to me, it makes me sad to see a sense of a reversal of some of those policies and that progress and you know we're just about how can we you know keep things moving forward all right let's end on a little personal a little bit of motherhood and also before we move on to that i i did have have a thought about what do you make of renting fashion yeah yeah are you part of that um, Does it hurt the business? Could it help the business? No, I think I think it's a it's good for certain things. You know, I think for you know maybe occasion kind of dressing. I think that there's meaning to that when people buy an outfit just for one event. Um, personally, I prefer to buy the thing I'm going to live in and love. Like I was talking about that perfect black cashmere sweater, or you know that you know just that new turtleneck that I just love I've just got to have you know that one I prefer and I just wear the same thing day after day after day so I don't really care about renting or you know personally in terms of my my daily clothes or what I think we're trying to do I don't I don't think it exactly fits well but I think it's a good idea for certain kinds of companies okay back to sort of the beginning of where we started but instead of your parents, you as a parent. Yes. You have struggled like I, I do and yeah. we all do with yeah. mom guilt. Oh God, it's endless, isn't it? <clears throat> it's endless, it's true. But you did have some advice I heard you give that I'm now trying to do go about ahead. when you go home, Oh yes. what is oh, the good. first thing we should do? Oh yes, just put everything down and be with your kids, you know, and just, you know, give them the first 20 minutes that you're home and just like ignore everything don't even change your clothes if you can help it you know maybe maybe if that makes you more comfortable you can change your clothes but I don't have to change mine because I only wear comfortable clothes but but um, yeah and I think to put down the work and uh, and that's what I didn't do when my kids were young I would you you work too much I work too much I would bring the reports home or you know study things think about things you know do you regret it I do I do. I, I, what I try to say is be where you are, you know, like when I'm at work, I try not to worry about my kids. So sometimes I, I would take I a call, of course, worry if they, yeah. you know, yeah. if one of them calls me and I'm at work, I take the call, you know, or if something important is happening with my kids, I always do. So be they're always my are. priority. Um, but when at home, you know, try to try to, you know, stay with, with them mm-hmm. and let go of the work and that's hard we try to do no emails on the weekends oh, good <laughs> it's really hard <laughs> but you can do it people wait yeah people wait people you wait know? just make the people who are sending the emails yeah. feel guilty people wait <laughs> instead of the people who aren't responding like monday morning why didn't you respond to my email wait a minute why did you send me an email on the weekend there you go you know Parental leave. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, I suppose you didn't really get maternity leave because you were building your company <laughs> unless you gave it to yourself. Oh, I, I, I moved my work into my home at there that period. So. <laughs> Do you, does Eileen Fisher as a company give moms and dads parental leave, paid parental leave? We do. We have a 12-week policy for the primary caregiver and three weeks for the uh, non-primary caregiver. Have you thought about upping that for the for the non-primary which is often the dad but i can yeah. tell you as just having two babies he was very primary in my experience yes have yes. you have you thought about increasing that uh you know it, it hasn't come up i think we you know we're all we're like 80 percent women, women I know, so I know. it's not 
been it's not been a fight you know mm -hmm. I'm sure that you know you know everything is a, everything could be a discussion it's evolving and changing a lot yeah. in just the last few years yeah. I've noticed yeah. in companies yeah. um, and then employee benefits um, I remember having Jen Hyman on the podcast who started Rent the Runway. And at, right after she wrote this op-ed in the New York Times about how she had realized that as a company a few years ago, they were not giving their fa factory workers, warehouse workers, the same benefits that corporate, like headquarters employees right. were getting. Right. What are your th thoughts on that? Is that are, are the benefits equally shared across the company? Yes. Yes. Because in many companies, they're not. I didn't know that. Yeah. It didn't even occur to me. Many companies that have contractors, for example, right. or, you know, wa warehouse employees would get different wow. benefits. So our warehouse employees and our, um, and our retail employees and our corporate, you know, employees all get the same benefits. Who doesn't get the benefits are our, 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 our um, sewing factories. They get different, you know, they're, they're, they're own, separately owned, so right. we don't control their right. benefits, but we work to, you know, support them in a lot of ways. You have raised your voice on some social issues and political issues, uh, climate change, yes. when the U.S. pulled out of the Paris Climate yes. Accord, uh, abortion. Yes. You've spoken up about abortion rights. Yes. As yes. someone who is uncomfortable yeah. speaking out and being in the spotlight, and as a leader of a company that employs people that have all different political views. Right. How do you think about that and yeah. when to use your voice yeah. and the brand? Yeah. Well, I think, um, uh, I think we're actually a platform. I think it's really, really important for businesses to, you know, to speak to certain issues. Um, uh, it, it's in a, in a different time. You would think the government would be holding those kinds of things, but it's a different time right now. So it's it's sort of requiring us to step up more um, in terms of both environment and women's rights. You know, we're a women's company, so you know it's like the women inside demand that we stand up for certain kinds of things. And and, and you know, sustainability and environment is just an issue that's so deeply. In, in our core that it's just so natural. You say the women demand that we stand up and speak about things. Did your employees come to you and say, please use your voice? Yes, 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 yes. On abortion and climate change? Well, we think of it in general as, you know, all, all women's rights, supporting women's choice, mm -hmm. supporting, um, uh, you, know, you know, the environment and, you know, um, yes, and our employees are very, uh, but the, uh, they're very um, passionate about it. And we also try to be really careful because we, you know, respect that different people have different points of view on different things. And, you know, like with the issue of China, we don't want to be a divider. You know, we want to be a healer. We want to help. We want to bring progress and we want to bring people together. So, you know, so we're very careful in how, how we use our voice. You clearly have no intention of retiring or any plan. <laughs> I have read that you said when I That's think not totally true. Well, the New York Times <laughs> asked you about it, and you said, "I will." When I'm ready. Well, I will when retire I'm when I feel, I feel safe. safe. What does that mean? I know. <laughs> what does well, that you know, mean? actually, what that means, and I've been trying to articulate that, is that I feel like I've been holding this idea that came to me that I have a responsibility for, almost like my first child. 
you know, and, you know, when I feel that I'm able to fully articulate this idea and that this idea is being shepherded into the future. And so mm -hmm. right now I'm working hard on what's the structure that supports this idea? You know, who are the people who will hold this idea into yes. the next generation? So that's the work I'm doing. I'm trying to step out of the center of it in that way and hold it in a bigger way. So who is your dream woman to dress? Oh, Michelle Obama. Have you? No. Well, you should write her a letter. Yeah. Or you know what? I also think that I I dress every woman. It's something very like ordinary or something to me too. So I don't have big dreams of celebrities to tell you the truth. I mean, Michelle Obama blows my mind, but she's you should amazing. write her a letter. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. Who is your hero? My hero. Well, we have Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> we have um, you know, I I was impressed with Hillary. I'm still struggle Hillary Clinton and all of that said um, um, my hero Michelle Obama's a hero um, uh, let's see um, those are those are three big heroes. heroes they're good heroes yeah legacy do you think about it yeah well do I think about it um, yeah I, I don't know um, I hope to I hope to, I hope that this company, um, you know, stands for good and can keep that good things, all the good that we're doing, trying to move on in the and, world. And, and even though it bears your name, outlive your Outlive the name. Outlive even the name. I don't care about the name. I never even wanted it to be called Eileen Really? Fisher. I just, no, I just want the concept and, um, and the idea uh, to, to live on. One thing I ask almost everyone we have on at the end is this. What, what do you want your children to say about you one day? Oh, um, you know, my daughter said, I gave a little talk the other day, and my daughter said, Mom, you were competent and wise. I was like, I practically started crying because I, uh, first of all, I never think of myself as confident and wise. Well, that's to hear her say that. I was like, wow, I didn't have to wait till I died to have her say that. So I'm like, oh God, that's very touching. I'm very touching. Thank you. It's a pleasure to get to meet you after all these years. Oh, thank you. I really thank appreciate you. That it. was my pleasure. Thank you totally. so much. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Boss Files. I would love to hear your thoughts on this week's episode and people you want to hear from. So leave a review and follow me on social media at Poppy Harlow CNN. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 